Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving in the pre-apocalyptic housecape of the academy. In each episode, we share self-care techniques and talk about surviving in academic careers. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear and want to support our show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Got something to say? Let us know on Twitter, at SurvivingPhD, or on Facebook. Hey everyone, I'm Zach, and I'm an adjunct. I'm Rachel, and I've also been an adjunct. And I'm Kristen, and I've also been an adjunct. What? Dun, dun, dun. I had no oh. idea we had this thing in common. Oh Weird. my god. And we're even <laughs> foreshadowing the episode, coincidentally. <gasps> oh my. I like building a little mystery. Yeah. How's everybody doing? Good. Doing good. Pretty good. Rachel, do you have any announcements? Yeah, I, I do. So um, Justin and I had a little stork come visit our house last week. And that little stork brought some news. Okay. Yeah. And that news is a puppy. Guys. We got a puppy. Show stopping over here. It is. He's so cute. He is sleeping on me right now. And he is he's, the sweetest little thing. He's, he's a so pretty soft. adorable little pup. His name oh, is Lil Sebastian. And he'll be 11 weeks old tomorrow. And what he is approximately is he? 11,000 candles in the wind because he, he is so is cute. He is 5 million candles in the wind. <laughs> he is the best. He is a All Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. He's cute. Yeah. He's got little furry toes. Yep. He's got little feather toes. And <sighs> he is adorbs. How are we going to get through this episode? Zach, what's new with you? Did you get a puppy? Did a stork visit uh, you? Tell me a stork came and visited you. No. uh, I mean, the cat that I live with rolled over on its belly. uh, It ended up being a trap. But, you know. (laughs) Uh, So I had a brief moment of animal cuteness and then uh, another cut on my arm. But what are you going to do? My week seems like just, you know just utter crap compared to everybody else's compared to uh compared to rachel getting a dog like what am i gonna do with my life that's true that's true <laughs> i know i mean he is the cutest so not much can top him how about yeah. you Kristen? well i'm making progress on the dissertation so i don't Always feel good. like all is lost i feel like i'm just a little lost So there's that, and I've been sleeping better, which makes my whole life better. That does make Um, your life better. I think I'm over. I also gave up sugar recently, and so thankfully, listeners, that was like two weeks ago, and so the worst has passed. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm feeling good and writing, writing the dissertation, so. Good. I need to make you a little like a uh, dial to put on your fridge that says percentage lost. Yes. How lost do you feel from zero to a hundred, hundred percent? No, for, for real. You know, in like scary movies. And then movies, please never show it to me. <laughs> no, you know, in scary movies where they're like, they've got their little compass out and it starts going crazy and they're like, whoa, like that is exactly, <laughs> oh, it's like, what is happening? Like that is. <laughs> That's kind of how I'm. I feel about it some days. That is sometimes the daily with research. 
Yeah. Some days you're feeling like, I'm awesome. I know everything. And then some days you feel like you know nothing and you might as well be Jon Snow. Yeah. I mean, there's also like, I, I get to these like happy, like little like mediums where it's like you don't care anymore. Where it's like you're so lost, you just don't care. Um, which is also like pretty funny and like you can always revise and but things are going well. Oh, good. He just good. turned over and it was so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. Well, should we get to today's episode, y'all? Yes, let's do it. But before we get there, we've got an advertisement. Today's episode is brought to you by Booze. This perhaps most iconic and most cliche product is nonetheless an essential tool in the stress release arsenal of today's academic. Use it, but don't abuse it. Create and solve all of life's problems with it, or just sit down to grade papers with it. Any which way you pour it, booze is the lifeblood of today's academic. This might be the most literal sponsor, like... None of our sponsors to this point have actually been real sponsors, but I mean, listeners. Yeah. Like I'm having a a whiskey LaCroix as we speak. It's (laughs) literal literal truth, right? I have definitely had to uh, hand a paper back. Probably most often it has coffee rings on it. One time there was a red wine ring, red wine ring, and I had to say... Oops. Oops. Hey, time out. What's a whiskey LaCroix? Is it just whiskey and LaCroix in there? Yeah. It's a, it's a very self-evident drink. I know, I, but it sounds kind of gross. It's actually, like, really good. Yeah? Because you got the subtle hints of flavor and the LaCroix. You got the whiskey. You got your ice. You I got mean, your ice. If you, gave up, uh, if you gave up sugar, it's perfect. Cause, yeah. Uh, you know, imagine like a like a seven and seven, but without the sugar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's no. It's I. I enjoy it. It's it. Uh, I will. I, you know what? I will let you make me one when you see me this weekend. Oh, I've got whiskey. Oh, what and an honor! LaCroix. What I, an honor! In my kitchen. I don't let just all the boys right make now. me drink that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of would because I'm an academic, and it's and especially if it's free. But but for you, I'll let you make me one. Aww. Oh, okay. That's because we're besties like that, right? That's true. Podcast For the rusty. Right there. <laughs> okay, guys. So today's episode, um, we decided to talk about adjuncting. And in part was, I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but there was a recent um, article in the Washington Post about adjuncting. So some of the stuff I pull in is from there, but you know, all of us have been adjuncts and it seems like recently over the last few years, we're starting to see more and more articles about non-tenure track and contingent faculty or people who are considered instructors or part-time lecturers. And so I thought it would be just a really good topic for today. Yeah. It's about time we start talking about that more in the academy. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I haven't actually seen the article in the Washington Post, so could you, uh, Give me a quick rundown, and then maybe we'll link it. Um, we'll definitely link it. There's a, f- a bunch of, I mean, if you've ever worked as an adjunct, it's nothing you've ever uh, you've haven't heard before. It basically talks about, you know, they sort of keep you underemployed and disposable, so it kind of makes you feel like 
you know, this isn't any kind of life. A lot of times people who adjunct as their full-time job, you know, have to resort to like food stamps and other forms of assistance. And it's just really difficult um, living a life on an adjunct salary. So just to give you a little bit of statistics, um, so while many people adjunct as a part-time uh, sort of situation, I know some people have full-time employment and then also adjunct on the on top of that. Um, most of the time, people are actually working close to full-time hours, but they're like piecemealing it together. So a person might be working at many different universities. Um, I know this was my case at one point. I think at one at one point in my life, I was working three at three different universities and I was teaching intro at all of them. I had three different books, three different universities, three different sets of email. And I really felt like it was just kind of a whirlwind. Wow. Yeah. My experience, uh, with adjuncting, uh, except for where I'm at now, uh, it's a little different now, but before I went back to get my PhD, when I had the master's, I was teaching at three different schools Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, I was teaching seven classes a semester. Uh, yeah, and it's they unbelievable. yeah they were all the same class, so there wasn't a bunch of new prep. And uh, but yeah, uh, and I was working like fifty to sixty hours a week, and I actually made more money than I ever had it, uh, at any point in my life. But I was also killing myself just to. Yeah you know, make those commitments because like you said, adjuncts are disposable. So I felt like if I ever said no, when they asked me to take on another class, yes, that would compromise my ability to get work in the future. So I always said yes to everything. Um, and that was, that was a painful time in my life. That was actually what prompted me to go back to get the PhD, uh, because I thought I would get more stability out of that, but Oh, silly me. (laughs) So this is a fun game. So what is the shortest amount of time between them offering you a class and you starting the class? Because when you're an adjunct, this happens a lot, right? Like they like will offer you a class. What's the shortest amount of time? I I have to say I've always had really uh, a good amount of notice. Yeah, I've had some I've had good notice. You've had good notice, Zach? Yes, likewise. I've never had to worry about, you know, uh, occasionally I would get like a third or a fourth section of a class I was already teaching added, uh, you know, a week before the semester would start. But it was, like I said, it was already something I was teaching, so it wouldn't be an issue. But I've heard of people, you know, getting getting roped in 48 hours before a class starts. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I read a yeah. horror story one time on, a, on like a Facebook group I'm a part of. Um Someone was like, yeah, I just got offered an adjunct gig to teach a class that started two days ago. Oh, what? My gosh. Yeah. Oh my That's gosh. insane. Mm-hmm. I think mine is about a week. I think I a had week? like a week's notice. Although one new prep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and I also had a place when I, I worked for a tech college. It was like one of the worst experiences of my teaching life. Um, and the. Uh, um, Dean, I guess, was that what she was? Probably what she was called. The Dean um, talked me into teaching a psychology course. And so I taught two sections of the psychology course because I actually have my bachelor's is in psychology, but like my master's isn't. And um, it was a nightmare. 
it was just, it was so rough. And it, I, I don't know. I mean, I needed the money at the time and, um, I really shouldn't have let them talk me into it because it was just, it was really a nightmare. But anyway, so that doesn't sound very uh, fun. Here's some stats that though. Here's some stats that the Washington Post article mentions. So in in 2014, a congressional report found that 89% of adjuncts surveyed worked at more than one college. Mm. Wow, it's almost 90%. 27% worked at three schools, and 13% of people taught at four or more schools. Oh, my gosh. Part-time teachers alone represent 40% of the academic workforce, compared with 24% in 1975. So in yep. a few short years, it's like almost doubled. Um, wow. Some other stuff I found was that um, the article states that pay varies widely by region, institution, and discipline. So some well-heeled private universities offer as much as $8,000 to teach a semester-long course. Where is that? Um, while some community <laughs> colleges provide as little as 1500 a class. Um, and so even Which with a criminal. full... With even with a full um, course load, some part-time faculty live at or below the poverty line and receive public assistance. So I've been paid under fifteen hundred dollars. Good lord! Yeah, oh I think it was like close. It was like four, twelve or fourteen hundred, but I've definitely been oh my paid less than that. I guess the minimum I've been paid was sixteen hundred, but that was for a five-week class. Uh, and that was one where like the shell was already pre-designed. And so my main role was, uh, you know, moderating forums and grading papers. And it was much less work than, uh, than you would have expected. Like if I had had to design the course from scratch, it would have been something I would have expected double as much time to, to put in. Wow. Yeah. The other side of that is that I, uh, the maximum I've been paid is a little over 3000. Which is not eight thousand. I don't know who's doing that, but that's that's yeah. Pretty. I have no uh, idea who's doing that because I feel um, with the adjunct work I've done that I've been pretty well compensated. Um, I also have adjuncted um, and am a part of an adjunct union, so it makes a difference when the adjunct faculty are unionized, which we Um, will definitely talk more about. And I'll I'll take save a lot of these comments for later, but um, when we're getting more of that topic, but I um, I feel I mean there is no negotiation per department, and what I can be paid it's a set cost, mm. so it almost makes me feel a little bit better. But I also feel like it's a good it's a good rate mm-hmm. for um, for the class that it is. Yeah. yeah if you think I'll, talk, that, if I'll you, talk about it in a little bit when we get to uh, unions. Okay, yeah. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to do a little math and think about, sure. like, you know, if someone gets paid what I'm paid now, and I actually I don't want to use this as a point to, you know, rag on the, the place I work because I actually love the place I work, but it's also not something that I could potentially keep doing as a full-time job because if you – multiply 3,000 times four classes per semester, you know, that only comes out to $24,000 a year for someone exactly. with a PhD. And wow. considering exactly. that my 
uh, my full-time colleagues do teach four four loads uh, and make substantially more than that. I mean, it's pretty clear that the adjunct is the the low person on the totem pole, and mm-hmm. that again, it's not indicative, like not an indictment of where I currently work. It's an indictment of, you know, the sort whole of the system. regime of adjunct. Yeah, the system of yeah. adjuncting as a whole. Oh yeah, it is a much bigger mess than any one institution. So even Absolutely. those institutions who may pay fifteen hundred dollars for a three credit hour course, they're a part of the same issue that is plaguing higher education. And that is, we need cheap labor to teach the students, and there's less of an investment in tenure track. Absolutely. So this was kind of interesting, and um, I thought I you know looked at a variety of different sources for today's show, and so I looked at some uh, AAUP puts out some interesting stats, and I thought this particular. Um, bit of information was uh, very interesting. And I can post the links on our blog, but these are some quotes from uh, their sources that I found. Because it's at some point you have to ask, like, why is this why is this happening? So why so many why are there so many adjuncts that are needed? And why has this trend sort of gone up and doubled when it seems like everybody is going to school? Like it seems like most people are graduating high school and turning to higher ed, or if they're not, it just seems like there's really high rates of this. So I found that um, while many institutions are currently suffering budget cuts, the greatest growth in contingent appointments actually occurred during times of economic prosperity. Wow. Um, Wow. So while many institutions have invested heavily in facilities and technology, they um, are cutting their instructional spending. Though incoming students may find Finer facilities, they're also likely to find fewer full-time faculty with adequate time, um, professional support, and resources available for their institution. So it's kind of interesting that during this big time of growth, rather than reinvest in people, it's kind of like the investments went to like shiny buildings and trying to attract students. Um yeah, come yeah. live in our hotel room dorms. Yeah. <laughs> and also get taught by graduate students and adjuncts who don't have time to um, do anything other than teach because then they got to go work their other four jobs. So I, I understand, like, I understand. I don't think it's excusable um, necessarily, but one aspect of this is, yes, today's college student does expect a whole bunch of bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so this, the places that... Uh, you know, are able to recruit the most amount of students, which is the most amount of revenue, uh, are the ones that can have and sell those those bells and whistles. Yeah. The most understandable part of this is perhaps the increasing uh, pressure to have more and more technology in the classroom, um, which I think, you know, the teacher side in me says, yes, we need a lot of investment in technology in the classroom because that opens up a lot of new avenues for my pedagogy uh, but at the same time, I, I, yeah, like if you don't have teachers, if you don't have adequately compensated teachers, what are all the other things you're buying worth? Yeah. Yeah. Colleges, I feel like are so much more um, into selling the experience of college than like that's what they're sort of marketing to. It's like one of those things where they know students have to go somewhere. And so... They like are trying to sell like this like image and experience as opposed to like education. 
And that's really sad. Yeah, when I was an undergraduate, uh, the school I was at uh, remodeled their uh, their gym, their student gymnasium, mm-hmm. and that was became a marketing point that now we have the fanciest and largest and most amount of machines in our sports conference uh, gym, uh, which, hmm. you know, that's definitely uh, like a gold plate that I did not care about, but apparently the right group of people did mm-hmm. for that school. Well, I mean, I helped with, and it was, it was an awesome experience. Um, but this past uh, fall, I helped with freshman move-in. Get out. I bet that's yeah. a treat. Um, our whole office did, and um, the whole department, and it was really, really, it was really fun um, to get to meet some of the incoming freshmen. Yeah. But at the same time, I remember walking into the dorms and being like, oh, my gosh, these are so nice. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, just all of the amenities – that they have now and thinking back to my college experience, which was in the long run, like, I mean, in the, it's been 84 years. It's been 84 years. Back in my day, I had to walk up uphill eight different times to get to class. No, um, it, it, I didn't go to undergrad that long ago and my, and I didn't go to this institution, but it was drastically different. I remember, you know, being, lucky that we could unbunk our beds in the in the room um and it wasn't Wait, it so had tiny. literal bunk beds oh yeah it was so <laughs> small i had bunk beds it was so small yeah really um yeah. and we didn't have air conditioning so we had a a fan in the window and um you know yeah i was i was gonna say my my dorm uh did not have air conditioning and it was one of the last on the campus to not have air conditioning mm-hmm they they begun that sweep of remodeling to really up the uh, mm-hmm. up the quality. And it was just amenities. a bedroom, you know. It wasn't anything fancy. There wasn't anything other than bedrooms and bathrooms in the whole building. So we'd walk fifteen minutes to the one dining hall on campus, like, and that that all seemed fine to me. Like I'm I'm yeah. I'm not actually putting it down or complaining, right? Because I had a great like freshman year but walking in these halls i remember being like don't scuff the new paint kids <laughs> so i never lived in a dorm really that's why i'm what? shocked that, about the the bunk beds yeah i've never i've never lived in a dorm and it's kind yeah. of like the one college experience that i kind of i wish i would have gone abroad like at some point and i wish i lived in a dorm but those things cost money that we just didn't have and so i went to a college that was near my high school in my same town um but these places have they have universities now have to keep up with the luxury student housing Uh and so they've got to like you know they're just not gonna get the amount of people and i know i'm almost positive right now there's dorms on our campus that are empty there are some dorms on campus that are empty right now because people are just would prefer to do the luxury student housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to say you kind of blame them because it they can kind of come and go as they please and probably get much less supervision and things like that. And I but, think it's cheaper. Yeah, and, and might this, we. The sticker shock of it is cheaper. Even though living in a dorm, you get a whole bunch of other amenities. Um, you know, you get someone to 
who comes in and takes care of things like refilling the toiletry, toilet papers and stuff like that. You get to have a to eat at whatever dining hall you want whenever you want. But yeah, the you don't have to have a car. It, yeah. But when you look at the prices, the price per bed in a dorm versus the price per bed at one of these luxury housing, it's really easy to say, oh, look, that's a couple hundred dollars cheaper a month. And then meanwhile, you have people who are adjuncting those literal, um, the teachers of these students who are having trouble affording their rent and, you know, maybe going to a food pantry because they're trying to make ends meet or going without health care. That's another big thing is a lot of adjuncts go without health care because it's so expensive. Mm. Yeah. And okay, so yes to all of those things and i don't want to make it seem like like the residential life is the only thing driving up the cost because oh of you know, course this, not yeah oh, the cost the cost problem uh and the the pay for adjuncts is something that exists in non-residential colleges community colleges technical colleges private private uh you know commuter schools many many different they all they all mm-hmm. suffer from the same the same problem Mm-hmm. Um, You're but, absolutely right. Yeah, we can uh, at least identify one cost uh, in yeah. the larger uh, residential schools. Well, and then you also have—I mean, as much as contingent faculty has gone up, what it's pretty much doubled from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I would have to look at the study that I read, but I'm pretty sure that the number of campus administrators has gone up more than that. Oh, totally. And maybe not more than that, but it's gone up significantly. Or as their well. salaries have. I mean, that's that's a big thing is you have so much, mm-hmm. so many administrators that are, um, you know, making these really large salaries. It's because I mean, colleges now because they become this place of experience, right? They have to hire teams of like university lawyers, and they have to like do all these different sorts of investments to like protect their brand and have PR people. And and not all of it is these really, really high ranking, very high paid administrators. But if you're wanting to do all of these things to help students, you're going to have to pay people to do them. Mm-hmm. And that means you're going to have to build, bring in this office and bring in this position. And um, I, there's a lot of work on the back end that I think colleges have made for themselves as, yeah. they, as they've adapted. And that means more people to pay mm-hmm. and more, quote unquote, administrative bloat. Yep. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that gets that that uh, explains the quote that that uh, Kristen shared earlier that, um, you know, it's the money is going to uh, other things than instructional support. Yeah. It's sad. There's so much that there's so much that universities have to do now that there's not as much money left over for people to teach. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about what we think is the problem. Um, we didn't really talk through solutions at all because I don't think we know any. But I'm curious, Kristen, what did you find like with this increase in contingent faculty and adjunct faculty, um, what are kind of the drawbacks of this model? So I think um, this the stats are pretty clear that students themselves, like everyone suffers. Students tend to suffer. And if you've ever been an adjunct, it's, you know, and you're moving between multiple universities, it's not like you can afford to 
you know, really meet students when they need it or like extra help and things like that. I mean, you're, you're usually kind of running around. So I think students suffer. People are overworked. So I also think, you know, when you're getting paid $1,500 a semester to redesign a whole course, I think, you know, it's, people are going to put that much investment in the course and not that people are going to teach it badly, but I mean, when you are, I always think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like that bottom rung is, um, you know, the basics, like your food, your shelter. Um, and then it's like acceptance and friendships and like it moves on up and the very top, the very tippity top is like creative endeavors, your ability to create. Mm -hmm. And so I always think about that when you're wanting instructors to, you know, really reach students and go out of their way and, um, really think about how they can, you know, make an example come to life for students or show them how a concept works. You know, it takes time to think of those things. And when you are literally worried about whether or not you can afford food this week or if, you know, gas to get to your gas, job. yeah, gas, or you're worried about healthcare, like you just, that's like the only thing you can think about. That's the only thing that you're able to really like comprehend and like students are the same way like when students are starving when they're hungry when they're you know worried about all these other things when they're worried about their relationships and stuff like they're not able to be creative too and it just seems like I worry because I think some students really fall through the cracks in the same way that contingent faculty falls through the cracks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like you know when you're working a job like this and you don't have um, when, you know, all of us have been there, when you don't have health care or you have crappy health care, or as I like to call it, the oh, sh- oh shit health care, <laughs> where it's like it really only helps if <laughs> if something really major happens, you know, you're not able to just call in sick and take time off. So you're really like, you know, really pushing the limits of your body and probably, you know, abusing yourself in ways that are not helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of this, I think, adds up to... Uh, a sort of notion like adjuncts I think might be viewed as like, you know, you didn't get the full-time job. So there must've been something you weren't, weren't as good at as the people who got the full-time job, which is seldom the case. And really if the adjunct is, you know, the less adequate teacher, it's because being an adjunct is that much harder. Exactly. Like, like adjunct adjuncts are not worse teachers. Exactly. And, and the fact that they didn't get the job of the full-time teacher is, should not be an indictment on their, on their teaching ability. Nope. And nobody does it because the pay is great. The pay is great. So the people who are adjuncting are typically the people who are truly doing it for the love of teaching. So these are not people who are like just some bums off the street. Hi, puppy. They're not some like bums <laughs> off the street. Like these are people who, you know, really find a lot of value and a lot of their self-worth in teaching. And it's just really sad that um, they're not able to like make a living doing it. And this yeah. little dog is being so cute right now. Oh my he's God. He's awake now I'm and he's so jealous. Friends. You're going to get to oh. see him soon. Oh, his little tail is just going back and forth and he's biting Kristen's finger. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. I, that's why God gave me 10. <laughs> so you can <laughs> eat it. <laughs> He's like, are you my new best friend? That's why I have 10. That's what my mom used to say when we were little and like we were hurt. I'd be like, my arm hurts. And my mom was like, that's why God gave you two. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like, oh, no, I is, think he oh, needs now he's uh, listeners. We're having a full-scale make-out sesh. Yeah, he is just smooching up <laughs> Kristen's oh, nostrils. And, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. It's ex- precisely how I Sebastian. like to be smooched. He's in your <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, if there is anything that makes talking about the dismal experiences of adjuncts worth it, it is this puppy right here. You gotta yeah. just hand them out. To all adjuncts should See. be issued a puppy. And a stipend to care for the puppy because yeah. puppies can be expensive. Um, so good news, I guess. Good news. No, that's not good news. Um, so <laughs> You have good news, Kristen? Please share. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's not all do- cut that out. Um, so I guess it's not all doom and gloom. I did find um an article because I was interested in does being an adjunct hurt your chances of finding full time employment. And so while I feel like there's this like vibe in the academy that that is the case, um, I really didn't see a whole lot of support for that. And there's really not a lot of um, articles that really talk about people who transition into full-time employment. Um, But I did find an article saying that, no, it's actually fine and there's ways to manage it. Hmm. Well, this is anecdotal, but I, I have a coworker currently who was an adjunct for many years, adjuncted for several different schools around town, and recently transitioned into an instructor position. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a tenure track, but he does have, I believe, some of this, some similar protections where he can't just be fired. Like they would have to let him know in advance and go through either a disciplinary process, blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. yeah, so so anecdotal, but it, at least that shows that it's possible. Yeah, and I think some of the advice that the article, and I can post this one as well, kind of kind of gives is that I know that people are kind of make piecemealing and making things, you know, work to the best of their ability. But if possible, you should still try to go to conferences, um, go to the highest level of a conference you can afford to go to. So whether that be your national conference or a regional one. One thing they said was, um, you know, to arrange a panel. So if you're looking for a job in a particular area, one thing that you can do is arrange a panel and then ask kind of a, a big name or someone popular to be the discussant. And so it really kind of gets you back into the loop of like um, starting a network. And so you can kind of build your network up that way. So um and even if you don't have a lot of publications on your CV, conferences are still sort of considered a peer review. So when people are looking over your CV and they're seeing that you're still staying active, um, still, of course, trying to publish. But those are kind of the big ones is that when you're an adjunct, you kind of put that research stuff on a shelf. And oftentimes they places still want to see that when they're hiring full time. Mm-hmm. So trying to stay as active as you can Um and get back active and gets back into the swing of your networks is sometimes mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah, I know in my discipline, the job market has been really kind of rough um, the last couple years going. And it's really not uncommon for people to land tenure track jobs after being elsewhere as an adjunct or visiting or instructor or lecturer. It's pretty much, it's so rare for someone to land a tenure track job right out of the PhD in my discipline now that it's, um, it's, it's pretty much the norm. Yeah. 
This is why yeah. I'm going to be an adjunct forever. Is I'm no, so you're not. Aw- so freaking awful at networking. Um, and my, no, and my school not. does have support for conferences, so I am going to a conference uh, this spring. But uh, it's just a awesome. regional conference. Yeah, that's that's awesome though. I'm that's going a to a conference. conference next week. I'm going Ooh. to a conference in April. Where's your conference? Cleveland. Zach, where's your conference? Cleveland Rock. It's the same conference you're going to, Kristen. It's in Chicago. <gasps> Chicago. I'm going too. Just kidding. <laughs> you made me excited at one, at all of a sudden. I'm like, I, I like need to find a roommate in Chicago. Do you already have lodgings? Okay, let's talk about this after the podcast. <laughs> let's eat pizza in Chicago together. Oh, my God. Kristen and I could share a room. So scandalous. Oh, and eat. Well, the real scandal is if I'd share my food. That's the Ooh. real scandal. Because okay. sometimes I like to be jealous and just... Not a good food Gotta sharer. Get that deep dish. <laughs> that, just cro- that crossed the line, Rachel. Um, so back to adjuncting. So what are some things that people can do? And so Rachel alluded to this earlier. You're starting to see a lot more unionization and collective bargaining uh, for adjuncts. Um I've never been in an adjunct union, but the place I taught for before I came back to um, work on my PhD, they were just becoming union when I left. So I don't really have a whole lot of um, of experience with that. Yeah, I um, I can talk a little bit about my experience. Um, so I I have to say I didn't stumble upon my. Um, adjunct position per se, but I was, you know, one January a couple of years ago, um, since I adjuncted for the end of, through the end of my, um, doctoral program, um, I just started emailing people I knew and mm-hmm. asking what the process was for hiring adjuncts. Cause I was originally looking for a summer gig. Um, and so a couple of places said, you know, this is what our process is. And one in particular, the one I ended up working for, um, said, Hey, yeah, we could give you, I do have a class this summer and, um, it could, it would be this and this would be the pay. And, um, if you go ahead and apply, you know, we'll take a look at your application and stuff like that. So I went applied. Um, I got the, the, the gig and, um, I, at that point, didn't, I honestly didn't realize it was an unionized adjunct pool, mm. um, or adjunct faculty. Um, so because of a union, um, my pay per class has gone up like over $600 Wow! a course in the time that I've That's been there. And so I've been adjuncting there since 2016. Um, and I, I feel like I get adequate notice with courses mm-hmm. um i feel like you know i sign a contract with adequate notice and i feel like and maybe this is department specific but i feel like the the department chair and is very open to communication um very kind of supportive of my needs as an adjunct faculty member and now i should add that i'm in summers, I am an in-person adjunct at the institution, and then during the academic year, I am an online, mm-hmm. so remote adjunct. But even then, I feel like uh, I feel like I have it pretty good. But I also maybe feel that because I have a different job, 
You know, mm-hmm. it's not my only job. I've been adjuncting in addition to. Um, it's a little bit you, of extra income. Yeah, in addition to my graduate career and then in addition to my uh, postdoc, I took a class um, to kind of keep that connection at the institution. Um, but I feel maybe it's maybe it's because I haven't had to feel the kind of the pressure of only adjuncting. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the union has helped make it a, a even better experience. Also a great department, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I also adjuncted throughout graduate school as a supplemental source of income. Uh, but I am also, as you two can probably guess, a strong supporter of academic unions. Um, as as really? a, uh, a former member slash leader of one, <laughs> um, you know, it's not always necessary, but uh, when when it when it's adjuncts, uh, there's just that much more drive for it because mm-hmm. you know we live in a when live in a historical moment where adjuncts are completely undervalued um, and completely underpaid. So, you know, unless unless that institution is taking positive strides to pay their adjuncts far more than peer institutions. uh, Yeah, I mean, you need adjuncts to step up and say, hold on, my labor is worth a lot more than uh, than what you're actually paying me for. Like I have a master's or I have a Ph.D. You know, you need to pay me more than the equivalent of fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that supports, um, you know, unionization and collective bargaining as support as um, a way for stability and higher wages has been pretty much supported. Um, there's a new book out called Professors in the Gig Economy, Unionizing Adjunct Faculty in America. And they found that when looking at 35 co- collective bargaining agreements ratified between 2010 and 2016, they found greater job stability, higher wages and better benefits um, unionized adjuncts, however, still struggle to earn salaries and benefits comparable to tenure track faculty, but it seems like those in a union do fare a little bit better. Um, I wanted to talk about one real quick, like tip if you're out there and you are trying to make ends meet, um, you know, adjuncting isn't always the greatest thing, but it is a way to sort of, um, tie you over. My tip for getting adjunct employment is to email the department chairs directly. So oh. I've never gotten a, an adjuncting gig through like a mass like call. Like it's never been like posted on like Indeed or anything like that. Yeah. It's always been to email the department chairs directly and kind of saying, oh, I'm, you know, if you have any classes... I've had a lot of success doing that. That's actually how I got mine because I just emailed a bunch of mm-hmm. people to ask questions about their process. And, yeah. um, you know, most people got back to me with, actually, we have, we're looking for someone or actually yeah. we're not looking for anyone this year. Or they like know branches um, yep. that are. So sometimes like it'll be like, oh, we're not looking at this branch, but we're looking at this branch. So that's just a little tip if you're looking for this type of work. Yeah. Um, but this type of work usually is not sustainable. Like we said before, a lot of people have to either piece together or they're working other jobs elsewhere. And so ultimately that's why some academics choose to leave the academy. Um, but when they leave, sometimes they don't go very far. So sometimes people are able to translate their, um, experiences, especially with students into staff positions. And these often are fairly well paid and often very fulfilling 
especially if you are a person who wants to work with students um, in some capacity, that's one way to do it. And so your experience, um, you know, advising or mentoring students is often very valuable in these uh, positions. Um, Other times people just choose to look outside the academy, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. If you are interested in in, um, academics who leave, we had a really great episode a couple episodes back about that. But often people who also leave the academy find very fulfilling work um, and still are able to sort of adjunct on the side as a way to kind of fill in that hole of teaching in their heart. Yeah, I know a lot of people who do adjunct um, either for supplemental income or because like, uh, well, I, had a, I have a coworker now who, you know, he he has a full time job that pays better than any tenure track job I could have. But uh, being a sociologist, he really wants to talk about sociology and social problems. And he gets that drive filled by uh, teaching a social problems class. Awesome. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's sort of like, I don't want to say it's a paying hobby, but it's, you know, it's it's an avenue that is doubly beneficial because it pays and it, it is a, a passion project. Well, wasn't Barack Obama one time an adjunct professor of law? So if he can turn that. that in that side hustle into a gig as president, so can you. It's also a way right. to keep your foot in the door if you're looking. Uh, I need yeah, to... if it's good enough for Brock. I, th- I think, Rachel, are you suggesting I throw my hat into the very crowded ring for the 2020 race? There's um, everyone. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly when your birthday is. Zach's got an announcement to make. Zach, 2020. I would be 35 by the time that that president would be. No, I would be 35 even before the election happened. Dun 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 dun. Oh wait, that's graduation. Dun 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 So, our second sponsor today is that handy number on your email icon. Feeling good about not seeing a red number pop up or just cleaned out your email? Don't look now, but one of the five email accounts, both personal and university, that you monitor has just received a ton of pointless emails. Did you step away from your phone and return uh, to three-digit numbers worth of unread emails? Yippee! The person with the highest numbers win- the highest number wins. Oh, God. Oh, that's the worst. Uh, have you guys seen someone's phone where it's like a, like a thousand? Oh, my God, Rachel. Oh, no, mine's not a thousand. That stresses me out. But right now, mine okay. is at 66, and okay. I've been on email all 66. day long. 66. What's yours? <gasps> Nothing. Shit. I got a zero, guys. Mine's, mine's only 15. Of course, 10 of those have been sitting there for months and months, and I just don't want to deal I with win. them. I win. I win. Okay, so mine I win? mine says zero because I turned that feature off. Oh, <laughs> you liar! I feel like this advertisement is very specifically tailored to our like Apple and uh, iPhone or MacBook and iPhone listeners. It's stressful. Like it how is. many that you've missed? Ugh, get out! 
I would turn it off. I'm also curious, how many email accounts do you guys have on your smartphone? I have six. Uh, What? Four on my smartphone, six on my desktop, because two of them I don't check as regularly. I don't check two of my the others. So I actually have three university emails, but I have them all forwarded to one email. So I only have three on my phone, but one of those has three. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So that's five. So I have five, I guess, technically. Sorry, Sebastian is wanting to eat Kristen's hair. (laughs) It's like I'm not even mad about it. He's so cute. Why are dog butts so cute? Well, okay, I think our discussion of Sebastian is a perfect segue into talking about self-care. Self-care. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. Look, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, oh yes, so, it is. So, Rachel, what's your self-care this week? <laughs> I don't know, Zach. What do you think it is? Well, we have had Sebastian for a week and a half, um, and we got him uh, the day after Valentine's Day, so the 15th. Um, and it's now the 26th, so you do the math. 11 days? I did the math. 11 days. I'm a qualitative researcher. I don't <laughs> yeah, really do Yeah, likewise. And um, it's been really exciting. This is the first dog that Justin's ever had. I've had dogs my whole life, and I've raised puppies. But this is Justin's first one, which is why we're going to puppy classes tomorrow. Um, and for the next six weeks, so that, ah, get off. Get off of my headphones. <laughs> Rachel's <laughs> headphone just got eaten, so she can't hear now. I can hear now. Okay. Um, <laughs> Justin hasn't had a dog yet, so this we're t- he's going to get to go to puppy classes with Yeah, him. half of puppy class is human training, isn't it? And I think, you know, there's a big film fest in our town this weekend, so I'm hoping to see some films as my oh, self-care. Yeah. I don't get to see movies um, as often as I'd like, but since this like really great documentary film fest is um, in our town, sometimes we see these films like years before they come out. So yeah. Yeah. It's a I'm real excited to gem. see some flicks. It really is. Should we shout out the name of it? Yeah. The true false film fest. It's the, I believe it's the largest documentary film fest in the world. It oh is. wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's a pretty that? big deal. That's awesome. In the wee little town of Columbia, Missouri. I know it gets like flooded, and I I hear that and that might be self care for another person we might know. Yes. Yakery? Yes, I am going to be uh, taking my weekend to travel up to back to Columbia and see Yay. all my good friends and my co podcast hosts. The didactic and, trio uh, with our power puppy. of our forces unite. <laughs> I'm very excited. Well, you get to see this little cute pups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, Zach, we can't wait to see you. I'm looking forward to it, too. Yeah, we get to see you so soon. I'm excited. So hold your friends close, watch some movies, buy a puppy, do what you need to do. And until next time, keep keep on on surviving. surviving. (laughs) Look, he's like stunned. That wasn't him, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Little Sebastian, and I'm a part of the podcast, too. I know. He's so cute. You're 5,000 candles on the wind. Oh, no, that dog is Parks like like 500,000 candles in the wind. I know. I don't know what you guys are saying. 
his name oh my god i can't believe that you haven't seen from parks and recreation the show that episode oh my god okay after we're done podcasting i'm going to show her some little sebastian clips please please do he gained a whole pound in a good way me too (laughs) (laughs) probably while i was sitting here Where's our really poly puppy going? He's less nimbly bimbly. Ooh, 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 ooh. We could have crushed him and love him. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous, you guys. I stopped I... him. You what? You were going to be here in like two days. He was like. She gave him a big kiss and he was like. He says, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. That puppy will never know. The pain and trials and stresses of having to adjunct. He will know the pain and stresses of school because he's about to go to dog school. Yeah, he's going to puppy classes tomorrow. Going to get homework. Are those puppy classes going to be taught by an adjunct or a tenure track uh, puppy instructor? (laughs) Ironically enough, the puppy instructor is a tenured faculty member at the university. He works for the local canine uh, sports complex. Where he's doing his puppy classes. I'm a puppy emeriti. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much we have a, a PhD um, taking care of our pup. Oh my That's God. awesome. He's going to be such a well-educated puppy. 